Lord Jesus, we are truly blessed to think of the, the amazing reality of you coming into this world. Those songs capture such powerful truth. And we're blessed too with the amazing talent you've given those men to just glorify you and the beauty of the music and this moment. And I pray that you would continue to work as we uh, look at your word and as you work in our hearts. That's what we would invite, that you would work in our hearts and that we would see um, you afresh and that you would change us and transform us, that this Christmas season would be one where the Prince of Peace rules in all of our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, good morning. Good morning to everyone online as well. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. If you'd like to join me there, we're finishing up the uh, series. We've been going through that little short section where these couplets of descriptions about Jesus show up, um, and we're on the final one, which gets pride of place, last thing said, most remembered. And so, in a sense, there's a, there's a crescendo, there's a climax that we're rising to this morning. So Isaiah 9 is where we'll be. If you have your Bible, that's great. I've been thinking about uh, Christmas carols this week, actually, and the way some of them are written and uh, how my life looks and what those songs seem to describe. And and sometimes there's a little disparity. I think it's important to just call that out um, because it's a season that is really beautiful and it's, it's this sentimental, warm time. And sometimes I think we can feel like, all right, we'll, we'll set real life aside for a minute and we'll live in this kind of bubbled world where uh, the tinfoil kind of golden hallmark card, everyone's gathered around the, the bouncing baby who's just plump and, and, and shining and beautiful on this downy carpet of straw, as if there is such a thing as downy carpet of straw. Yeah, you know, that, that's kind of the season we live in, the warm cocoa Jesus, and then, then, we, then, then when this is over, we go back to the real world. And uh, sometimes even when we deal with um, you know, worship songs, that there's a dissonance that we need to just pay attention to uh, and, and bring that into this message this morning because if the message makes sense, it makes sense in the world we're living in right now. And I was thinking about the words where it says, um, uh, let's see, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, and little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And I wondered if the author of the song had children or had ever been around children or heard of children or seen children because that doesn't really ring very true. Although then I thought about it and I thought, well, but the true lyrics, nobody would want to sing those. The the donkeys are braying, the the baby awakes and the little Lord Jesus starts screaming and shakes. It just doesn't doesn't have the same kind of, um, it doesn't feel good, right? Um, But the reality is it actually could have been perhaps for a short moment all calm and bright around yon virgin, mother and child, that first night, but pretty, pretty quickly the, the horizon darkened, right? And um, the tender and mild Jesus had to toughen up because his life was immediately turned upside down and he was on the run for his life. And so in, in, our, in our world, as we come to the Christmas story, it's important that we uh, not lose some of the beauty and, and it, maybe it's a little romanticized and a little sentimental and sometimes even a little sappy, some of the things that are said, but it's pointing to something that's actually real. Those, those cards and those songs, even in their sentimental lyrics, are pointing to something that is, um, is beautiful and real. It's the shalom of God that's intended to be at least evoked 
But in the world we live in, sometimes those lyrics and the music kind of goes clunk because it's like, that's not what my experience is right now. Uh, this last month, I, I was just doing a quick tally, and um, I believe this last month, five people connected with our church died. That's five people who died connected with just this one little church body. And then on top of that, uh, I was counting and I have either attended or led four memorial services for different people. That means nine people in one month. That's a lot of death. There's a lot of pain that comes with that. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of sadness and even discouragement. I was thinking about the different conversations I've been having, and some of them have been just joyful and, and, and kind of a bouncy tone to them, but a lot of them have just been hard. People are heartbroken, they're hurting, life is hard, there's disappointment, there's struggle, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's all kinds of challenges that plague us, that, that dog our heels and, and, and kind of latch onto us. And if, if the reality of Christmas is going to make a difference in my life, it has to bring these, these two disparate ideas together, that there's something beautiful and something that even in their over-romanticized tone, the songs and the cards actually capture something profound. And that something profound matters to me in the mess of the world that I live in. And in Isaiah 9, we've been hearing about this child who is to be born, and there's these series of couplets that describe him, and we're on the last one now that's kind of the crescendo. And so if you want to follow along, let's just pick up the flow here. Isaiah 9, we'll start in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the last little couplet there is, he's the Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah immediately doubles down on that and says, in fact, that peace will be endless and ever increasing. Uh, What does that mean? What does that mean? Is it found in the dark, hard places? Is it found in the warm cocoa images? Is it found in both places? What what can I expect, what can I hope for um, as, as I seek to live life in this world with Jesus? If he's the Prince of Peace, what does that mean? Well, it means he's the, he's the ruler. He's the, he's, the, he's the sovereign whose rule is characterized by peace. We just recently went through a series on, on what I would argue is the best lens to look at the whole of Scripture through, and that is the kingdom of God, the rule or reign of God, which is defined by peace, by shalom. And that shalom is how things were intended to be. It's healthy, it's vibrant, it's beautiful. You know, those that are living with shalom are significant and they're anchored and they're secure and lives are rich and meaningful. They're thriving. 
and they're living lives favored by God. What does a life favored by God look like? What, what can I expect? I was actually visiting a, a member yesterday and uh, he, he, we got to talking. It was actually a, a, a couple that have a hard time getting to church because of their life stage and they'd been on my heart, so I'd been praying and, and an opportunity came up. I got, a, I got a poinsettia and I went over to their house and I just intended to show up at the door, not go in, not interrupt their day, just say, hey, we miss you, we love you, we're praying for you, how are you guys doing? Um, Merry Christmas. But they immediately invited me in and we spent uh, actually quite a bit of time together. And Wayne, the husband, um, got to talking. I, I was asking him about his relationship with God and, and some of the testimony that he had. And he was telling different stories of how he'd seen God work in his life. And he gave me permission to share this story. And uh, he actually, one of the most uh, meaningful stories to him uh, that brought a, a twinkle to his eye and a smile to his face, even though it was years and years ago, that said, hey, this is God's favor in my life. This is God blessing me and God showing me he loves me. Was years ago, he was on a fishing trip in uh, the waters of Mexico with his son and his grandson. And as they were fishing, nothing was happening. They were in the, the right place, supposedly, and all the other boats were there. There were boats everywhere. Everyone was trying to catch fish, and nobody on any of the boats was catching any fish. The day was aging. People were growing weary and tired and frustrated, and one by one, the boats started to turn and power back towards the harbor, and Wayne was really discouraged because this was supposed to be a special and beautiful moment with his grandson, and there was nothing to show for it. And so it's not a very big boat, but he kind of walked around the, the cabin and found a place where he could be quiet and alone for just a couple of minutes, and he cried out to God. He said, God, please, could, could you just, I don't even care how big it is, could you just let my, let my grandson catch a fish before we go back? I, I don't want this day to be a bust. I don't want this day to be discouraging. I, I want this to be joyful, and wouldn't that be awesome? Would you, would you please do that? And then he went back to where they were fishing, and as it would happen... Um, just a few minutes later, his grandson's pole just went whoop, bent over hard, and he'd hooked a fish. He'd hooked a fish. This was a major catch. In fact, it wore the grandson out just like that because he's little. So dad stepped in, and he fought with the fish until he was worn out and handed the pole to Wayne, grandpa, and he fought with the fish until he was worn out, and he handed the pole to the deckhand, and he fought with the fish until he was worn out, and then he handed the pole to the captain. Sounds like a kid's song, doesn't it? Swallow the spider to catch the fly, right? And so he, he fought with it, and they're passing the pole back and forth because the fish is fighting so hard, they actually hooked a fish this big, weighing 200 pounds, a yellowfin tuna, and it was fighting like mad. And then suddenly the fight went out of it. And they hauled it up onto the boat, but of course they gave the pole back to the, the boy who started it all. And, and um, Wayne went away with a fish story, not about the one that got away, but the one that was actually there, and about the goodness of God and the prayer that he gave and how God showed up in that moment in his favor. Now what do you think of that story? I think it's a cool story. And I think it's a good reminder of the goodness of God. And I know there's a tendency on the part of some of us to immediately just kind of roll our eyes and go, that's, <laughs> that's sentimental and naive. It's not the way it works. And I just want to stop you for a second. 
God says that he knows the number of hairs on my head and that he pays attention to birds that fall out of the sky. Do you think God cares about grandpas and little boys? And when grandpa's one of God's own children and asks for something, is God attentive to that? Does he care? I think he does. And I think we need to guard ourselves against having the disappointments and frustrations of our own lives harden our hearts to the point that we we just tend to be cynical and even disbelieve the goodness of God. Right, Wayne's story reminded me of that. That's a cool thing, God showed up there. But then again, then again, there were all those other boats there, weren't there? None of them caught any fish. They all turned back to the harbor and went away, no fish story. Do you think there were any grandpas and little boys on any of those boats? Did anyone else perhaps pray and ask for God to do something? And they went away with nothing. And haven't you and I experienced enough challenge and hardship and disappointment and struggle that there are times we say, well, now hold on a minute. Let's not be oversimplistic. Let's not be naive. What, what do we do with that? You know, eye-rolling, saying that's sentimental and naive, maybe that's misplaced. Maybe that's actually cynical and negative that's crept into my heart. But on the other hand, do I live in the world where I go around the corner, I ask God for something, and boom, there's the fish? Maybe. But often not. What does it look like to live under God's favor in that moment? What does it look like to live a life that is vibrant and thriving and joyful in that moment? Does the story of Christmas somehow maybe even bring those two kinds of dynamics together? To say, yeah, there's there's these fish moments that are just awesome. You want to stand up and shout. And then there's the powering back to the harbor with nothing moments where you can also meet God in that. And maybe it's not as fun, but his presence is just as real. When we come to this picture of Jesus, you know, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, he's the prince of peace. He has come to bring God's rule into this world by starting by bringing it into my life and your life and then through my life and your life, spreading that. That peace, that shalom is foundational, it's fundamental but the world is not yet transformed. Remember, when we were looking at the kingdom, one of the defining realities is that there's already a, an aspect that's true, and yet there's a lot that's not yet completed. So I'm living a love story in a war zone. In every moment, and every area of my life is contested. And the peace of God meets me there. And sometimes there's those stand up and cheer moments and sometimes it's just enough to weather the storm, but it's the peace of God. As I live life in the messy middle, stretched between the pole of the reign of shalom begun and the reign of shalom not yet completed. As I was talking to people over this last month, 
who'd lost family, a lot of family. There were themes that rose in the midst of the heartache, right? These are believers, these are followers of Jesus who've lost dear family members. Tears were just universal. Heartache and sadness were universal. But there were other themes that surfaced too. Themes of joy, of confidence in God, of hope. Someone even used the word victory. Themes that said, the enoughness of Christ is what's sustaining me in this moment. That's the shalom of God in the midst of brokenness. Right, the, the living in relationship with God where his shalom is at work in my life, where the Prince of Peace is reigning and his peace is coming in me and through me has this messy context in which it works out. But it's enough, it's enough. I have, I have walked with people where I've seen how God's transforming work has changed everything. There's a, a guy that I have discipled for quite a few years who, um, whose marriage was hanging by a thread. It was in tatters. They were on the verge of divorce and he came to faith and suddenly he's under the reign of the Prince of Peace and everything shifts. Now his personality is still his personality. His wife's personality is still his wife's personality and their life circumstances are still their life circumstances and that doesn't make everything all wonderful and nice. All the lights haven't turned green and the sky hasn't turned sunny and they don't suddenly pay 99 cents a gallon for gas while the rest of us are leveraging and mortgaging our homes to just fill the tank, right? They're going through exactly the same thing, but suddenly things shifted within and they're, they're thriving, right? I, uh, Davette and I were talking as we were on a, on a visit, we were on our way uh, to see somebody and um, just kind of reviewing stuff that had been going on. It's been kind of intense and kind of draining. And it's like, okay, Lord, wow, we couldn't do this without you. We need your help. This is just that was where the conversation was going. Tough stuff that all kinds of people are dealing with and we're trying to help. And that's a, a, a weight, that's a burden. And yet God's in that and, and kind of simultaneously we said to each other, we couldn't do this without Jesus, right? And so then we proceed on to our visit and we visited this lady who's been a part of our church for years and years and she's not here now, but um, she's not able to come. She's, her husband passed a few years ago and uh, it was a wonderful visit, so encouraging. And um, she was very honest and she said, you know, it's still hard. It's still hard that he's not here. I miss him and there's all kinds of dimensions to that. And then she said what we just said. I don't know, I, I, I couldn't do this without Jesus. Right? I think that's the shalom of God. Right? Now, I, I have no way of comparing what it looks like for a believer to go through something and a non-believer to go through something like sometimes people do. I think you have to have a big sample and you have to have all kinds of uh, you know, structures in place to make sure that's a real viable study. But here's what I can say anecdotally, and I think anecdotal is what actually matters in this case because I'm an anecdote and you're an anecdote and so are they. Right? We all have a story, and the stories that I hear and the story that I experience is, I don't know what other people do, but here's what I do know. Because of Christ in my life, everything's different, and the shalom of God anchors me, and it strengthens me, and it carries me forward because the Prince of Peace has come. 
and that changes everything. This lady's husband, who passed a few years ago, was a good friend of mine, and I remember him telling me he'd gone in for surgery one time, and they almost missed his first dose of the anesthesia, you know, the one that calms you down and all that, because the nurse came in, looked at him, and thought he'd already had it. He's so relaxed. And then she looked at the chart, and then she looked at him, looked at the chart, looked at him, and said, did they give you a shot? No, not at all. How are you so relaxed? Well, I'm just, just laying here meditating on a psalm. There was this peace of God. Now, some of us go, I, that sounds good, but I, you know, there's needles involved, there's knives involved, it's a do- I can't do that. Okay. The peace of God meets me where I am because I'm his. That's the picture. He's, he's brought his rule into my life, and that is a rule characterized by peace. even if the world itself is not fully what he would want or what we would want, not yet. One day, the cards will all be right. The lyrics will be just fine. We don't have to correct them and say, well, you know, life's a little harder than that. One day, disappointment will not be an issue. One day, struggle will not be an issue. One day, but not yet. But in the meantime, we've got this world where God who has entered as the prince whose rule is characterized by peace is working out a relationship with me. Sometimes amazing things happen. Sometimes fish are caught and stories are told. And other times I'm sustained in the hard place, but God's at work. So I want to ask two questions for us this morning um, about this prince of peace and his rule of peace so that we can make it really personal and take it to heart. And the first question, in fact, I'll I'll just turn you, if you would, would you turn over in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1? The first question is this. Is the Prince of Peace reigning in your life? The picture of God's shalom that is offered to us, even in this broken world, is rooted in relationship. If I don't have relationship, I don't have that shalom either, not from God. A lot of good things happen, right? He's, he's poured so much of himself into this world and into people in general that there's echoes of that everywhere, but at the end of the day, it all goes south, it all turns sour, it never quite works because the relationship with God is the only thing that fully, truly anchors. And so the first question is, is he the Prince of Peace? Is he reigning in my life? Because this verse in Isaiah 9 we've been unpacking gives us a picture of what he came to do, and it starts here. Colossians chapter 1 gives us one summary that's helpful. And if you want to start in verse 19, it's talking about Jesus. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. Another picture of this same reality. Peace of God, what's it all about? Where does it start? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. says, therefore, 
since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The peace that God offers is rooted in relationship. This world is tough, we all know that. Heartache and pain and struggle and disappointment and anxiety and frustration and anger and failure, every one of us experiences those things. The question is, are we accompanied by and supported by God in that journey? The reign of Christ, the rule of, of, of the Prince of Peace in my heart is where the peace is rooted. Do I have a relationship? He says, this is about reconciling me to God. And he says, it's, I access this by faith. So, how about you? Let me just start there. Do you have a real relationship, a personal relationship, a this has transformed my life kind of relationship with God or not? Jesus came into the world as the Prince of Peace to restore everything to rightness, beginning with his incarnation and his crucifixion and the resurrection and giving the Spirit And now we're stretched in between that moment and when it's all completed, but in these in-between times, there's this reality that the Spirit continues to work, and person by person, there's a question being asked, will you let me be your Prince of Peace? Will you receive my reign in your life? That shalom, will that be your experience? It's only found in relationship with me. So, how am I doing? Do I have that relationship with him. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Is that, is that true of me? Everything's messed up in this world is messed up because relationship with God has been destroyed. Right? Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin, chose to make themselves out to be God. That's really what they did. They said to God, don't care what you think, we get to call the shots, we get to define what's best, we get to choose the path, we get to set the course. That's God's job. When they did that, they said, move over, we're taking charge. That's treason. That's treason. And that has a death penalty, just like treason does in most settings. There's a death penalty that hangs over them, and all of us, because each one of us, in our own unique way, have perfected this ability to be our own little gods. I get to decide, I'm all about my choices, my direction, my plan, I pick what's right, I pick what's wrong, I define reality. That's a lie, and that's rebellion, and that's in my heart. And that has a death penalty. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Prince of Peace entered the world, was to restore the relationship, because when that relationship was ruptured, and we, in a sense, tried to exile God from his own kingdom, we were cut off. Now, God tolerated that. In his grace, he made space for us, because he could have just wiped us out, but he didn't, because he loves us, and that's why Jesus came. He came to restore relationship, and so when he entered the world, he didn't sin. 
That baby that was born grew up just like you and me except without sin, which is really important because then he had no penalty. There was no justice to be served. He wasn't a rebel. His heart was always aligned with God saying God is God. His heart was always submitted to the will of the Father. And from that place of relationship, then he was able to step up and say, and I will pay the penalty. Because God is the only being who's actually, truly just. We talk about justice in our world as if we really understood it. All of our views of justice are twisted, right? They're good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Justice is a really important issue. We need to work for justice, absolutely. But at the end of the day, we usually have misdefined sense of justice and what, at the end of the day, we really want everyone else to have justice and us to get mercy. (laughs) Everyone else can have what they deserve. I don't want that. I want better than I deserve. That's the way we live. God won't play that game. God actually gives justice, which means we, every one of us, every single one of us get exactly what we deserve. That is the worst news you could ever hear. You will get exactly what you deserve, and so will I. That's where the Prince of Peace comes in. There's no way around that because God himself must live in in harmony with his character and he is just. The death penalty will be meted out on every single sin. That's why Jesus said, I'll do that. I will die your death and give you my life. I will bear your sin and give you my righteousness. And I will rescue you and reconcile you to my Father so that you too can be a child of God. That's the Prince of Peace. And that's the really fundamental question. If you want peace, I can't promise you everything goes smoothly. I can promise you it doesn't. I just, I know it won't. I promise you it won't. I promise you it'll continue to be hard. But there's no way around that. But the nature of how you go through that will change dramatically and the direction that you will wind up in will change dramatically and you will be in actual vibrant living relationship with the God who loves you enough to send a son to die in your place. If by faith, as Romans 5 says, you lay hold of that. That means give up being God. Give up your addiction to being your own boss your own God, the ruler of your own little universe. Surrender. It means acknowledging that you don't have it together and you don't earn anything from God other than his wrath and judgment. And it means believing, not just cognitively, but actually entrusting yourself to the fact that Jesus took care of that. The Prince of Peace came into the world to reconcile us to his Father. He died in our place And he rose again, conquering death and sin and Satan. And he offers his life. Now, if God is working in your heart right now and he's saying, that's what you need, I urge you. There's a a verse in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that would be my words too. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's simple, and it is really hard. 
It's not a difficult thing to do. It's hard because I don't do anything other than completely surrender. And that's really hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of my addiction to myself and my will and my plan and my desires. It's hard to let go of my control. But that's the only way forward. I have to let God be God. I have to let the Prince of Peace actually be the Prince. And then peace comes. And if you're in a place that you're ready to do that, just respond to God right now in your heart. Acknowledge, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I can't fix it. I have no claim. I need to be rescued. I I accept your rule. You're God. I'm not. Your rule of peace, that's what I want. I believe all that Jesus did is all that's necessary. And I throw myself on your mercy. You do that in your heart, things will change instantly. God will begin to work in you and the Prince of Peace will reign in you in a sustaining way. Now, if you have responded, if you're responding right now, here's what I'd ask of you. I would ask of you first that you would not walk away without coming to a place of peace with God. Two, that you would also let us start a conversation with you. Somewhere around you in the seats there, there's a card. Just take it out, put your name and some sort of phone number that I can call or text you at, and I won't harass you, but we'll start a conversation And there's one of two things I'd like you to put on the card. One is, if you've said yes to the Prince of Peace, just write a big Y on there, circle it, hand it to me, and we'll follow up and say, okay, what does God want to do, and where are you, and let me me encourage you along the journey. If you're like, I'm not sure what I'm doing, I'm not sure that I'm there yet, just put a big question mark, circle it, and hand me the card, or hand David the card, we stand at the back door when you leave, just hand it to us, we'll follow up later. But don't leave this place hearing about the Prince of Peace without a relationship. That's where the peace comes. The peace is always rooted in relationship. Now, I know a lot of us have actually responded, so let me move us on. Would you turn over to John 14, please? I want to look briefly at this passage. Here's the question for all of the rest of us. If if the Prince of Peace is the, is the sovereign whose reign is characterized by peace, is my life characterized by peace right now? If I'm under his reign, is that what shows up in my life? Am I characterized by peace? And l- let me make a quick distinction that I think is important. There's a difference between intermittent and elusive. Every one of us has an intermittent intermittent experience. Our lives are up and down, and sometimes we're just as faithful as can be, but the journey itself is an up and down journey, and so I may be experiencing and feeling the peace of God at different levels at different times. That's not really the primary concern. For some of us, it's just elusive. It doesn't matter. It seems like we can never quite lay hold of it. We're always being driven by worry or anxiety or fear or struggle or something else. And the peace of God seems to be elusive. If that's the case, why? It's rooted in relationship with God. What's happened to the relationship? It's a relationship, right? So there's two sides to the relationship. I've got to be holding up my end of that. Now, let me be really quick to say it is a radically lopsided relationship. 
right? God brings everything to the table, but I have a response, responsibility. So I have to be responding. It's an actual relationship where I matter, and sometimes I am doing things that are cutting off or impeding God's work in my life. And if I'm struggling with peace right now, where's my relationship? Let me just read a couple verses here in John 14. Verse 25, Jesus, this is the last night before he's crucified and he's giving some final teaching, trying to encourage and prep his friends for what's to come. And he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I'm gonna send you the comforter, the helper, and I'm leaving you my peace. If you wanna flip over to the last passage, Galatians chapter five. It's a well-known one, so if you wanna just listen, that's fine as well. Jesus says, I am inaugurating my reign of peace in you right now. And I'm going away, but I'm actually kinda not going away because I'm leaving you the spirit. And he's going to be living within you and he's going to be working within you. He's going to mediate my presence and the presence of the Father to you. He's the one that's going to activate all the realities of this relationship that we have and you will be in an intimate personal contact with me all the time through him and that reign of peace will be birthed in you through him. So that's what I'm leaving you. And then in Galatians chapter five, He's been talking about a contrast between the old way of life, which is really a mess, and what it's like to be in the Spirit. And in verse 22, it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So peace with God is fruit. It's something that is birthed in my life because of my relationship with the Spirit. The edge of my driveway is an orange tree. And this is mid-December. It's a healthy orange tree. Can you tell me what my orange tree looks like right now? It is green and studded with all kinds of bright orbs, the color orange. And there's oranges everywhere. Why? Because it's an orange tree. And that's what they do. It's a healthy orange tree. An unhealthy orange tree wouldn't have it, but a healthy orange tree always has it. Right? And I've never once come to the house and seen sweat pouring down the bark of my tree as it's straining so hard to have oranges. I've never seen it write off for some you know, correspondence course or log on to the latest uh, you know, YouTuber to see how do I do better at growing oranges. I've never seen that. I've never heard it groaning under the labor. It's just what healthy orange trees do. Fruit trees have fruit because that's what it means to be a fruit tree. He's saying here, you have the spirit, that is what happens, you have fruit, and the fruit of the spirit is peace. It's the shalom of God. So when that's broken in my life, maybe the intermittent is just a circumstance. Sometimes God even withdraws his felt presence to a distance for a while because there's things he's doing in me that's not really any distance, it just feels that way. Maybe I'm struggling because I just got hit by something really hard. There's this up and downness. That's one thing. But if I just am always struggling with fear and anxiety and anger and disappointment 
and all kinds of other things, and I never seem to have peace. Something's gone wrong. Because the relationship with the Prince of Peace, peace is the fruit of that. So, how is your peace? I'm trying to think of a, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but we only have a couple minutes. So, I thought there are probably two key areas that I see around a lot that it's good to probe. One is disappointment. I think a lot of us struggle with peace because of disappointment with God. This didn't go my way, didn't like this, this was hard, didn't expect this, didn't I do this, why are you doing that? It takes all different kinds of forms, but we're disappointed. We wanted God to be one way, and he wasn't. Right, I was actually uh, visiting with Wayne. wasn't the only thing I did on Saturday. I had a, another conversation with a guy, and the conversation turned towards, you know, relationship with God. Immediately, this middle-aged guy, his eyes welled up with tears. And he said, that's hard. I'm open, I, you know, I'm not hostile. I, you know, I go to church, but when I was young, my dad got cancer. I prayed hard. He died anyway. There's somebody who understands. There's disappointment with God. You do too. You understand that. I understand that. Now let me peel away what is going on with that. Disappointment with God may be natural, may be understandable to a point, but at the end of the day, the root cause of that is God is not actually God. I am. In fact, I was sitting this week with another friend who's just been through something horribly difficult, and those were his words. It was profound. I, I took note of it. He said, if God can't disappoint me, he's not God. Right? If God has to meet my expectations, if he has to meet my time schedule, if he has to do things my way and it all has to go in a way that I'm happy about or, we're, or no deal, then I'm God, not him. There's the problem. There's the problem. And I may be struggling, and my disappointment may be, you didn't do this, there's the problem. And actually, that's not the problem. The problem's over here. I have the wrong expectation. Now, identifying that doesn't automatically fix it. Doesn't mean it's easy. I'm not suggesting that for a moment, but at least it puts me in the right spot and say, okay, God, let's talk about this, because I'm really struggling. I have these expectations. You didn't meet them, but you are God. So you gotta help me. Right? Some of us really struggle because we're still trying to be God in subtle ways. We still want to tell God what to do and how to be and what that's supposed to look like. You're struggling with a disappointment? I would suggest that that's, that's going to create some distance between you and God. Talk with him about that and be willing to let him be God. Be willing to acknowledge, I guess, as much as I want this, it's not what you want. Or not now, not this way. It's okay to grieve that, but come back to the place where he's got. The other thing I think robs us of peace often is anxiety. I was thinking about this the other day. I just, how many people I see around me that are so anxiety driven. I was processing my own life. It's like, wow, so many things I do because of anxiety. And then I was thinking, and I, I think, and I, I actually really think this, I'm a pretty low anxiety person compared to most people I know. It's like, oh man, 
I see all the stuff that I do because of anxiety. Wow, we get so wound up. We overfunction. We become codependent. We're arrogant. It drives achievement. There's all kinds of things. I'm afraid of being left out. I'm afraid of how I'm going to look. I'm afraid of not accomplishing this. I'm afraid of disappointing that. There's all these fears that crop up, this anxiety that drives me instead of something more meaningful than that. And so much of life is dictated by that. Where does that come from? Actually, a different way it comes from the same source. I am trying to be God. I think one of the most important things I need to do is just stop and say, wait a minute, who's responsible for X? Me? Okay. Then lean into God's grace by the power of his spirit, give it everything you got, and go do it. But generally, the things that I find myself anxious about and that I observe other people being anxious about, we're not even responsible for those things. Those are God's. And I'm trying to control things I will never be able to control. The Prince of Peace reigns. And when peace is missing, it may be because I've stopped letting him be the prince. I'm trying to control things that I shouldn't try to control. And it's running me ragged. I think some of us maybe need to lean in there. And again, I don't want to be oversimplistic, right? You may have chemical imbalances. Get the meds. Just no question. If you have chemical imbalances, if there, unless there's some overwhelming reason you shouldn't, go get the meds. You may have need for therapy to give you some tools. Here's why I'm triggered. Here's how to respond. Great. Go get the tools. Go get the resources. That's all good and appropriate, but don't leave out the centerpiece. So often what's really at the heart of things is I'm trying to be God, and I'm going to fail every last time. Deal with that. Let him be God. Started with the story of the fish. I love that story. And I love the story because I only told you part of it. Right? Everything I told you is absolutely true. That's absolutely what happened, but it's not all that happened. And the whole story gives a much better picture, I think. And it kind of helps us all settle down with those, wait a minute, hold on. Isn't that kind of naive? It's like, so Wayne did pray, and his grandson did hook the fish, and they were reeling it in, and the fish they hooked was that big and weighed 200 pounds. But the fish they hauled onto the deck wasn't that big and didn't weigh 200 pounds anymore. In fact, when he stopped fighting, he was fighting for so long, and then suddenly it was easy? That was because a hammerhead shark came along and (laughs) took his tail off. He couldn't swim. How do I know it's a hammerhead? Well, how, I know because Wayne told me. How did Wayne know it was a hammerhead shark? Because as they're bringing the, the, the tuna onto the boat, the hammerhead follows it, takes another bite out of its side, and he's hanging there. So the captain runs and gets the club and starts hammering the head of the hammerhead. Get off my boat. So now they've got this ragged, ragged tailless, partial tuna that they've landed and the hammerhead is circling in the water that's filled with blood. I think that's a wonderful picture of the peace of God in this life. There's these moments, there's these moments where we say, God, would you show up? He says, yes, I will. Do you care about grandpas and little boys? Yes, I do. Do fish matter? Do you want to do joyful things? Yes, but don't forget there's sharks. You live in a world where there's sharks and they sometimes take a bite. 
end, that's okay. I'll still meet you there. And there's another layer that I like even more. The reason I heard the story is God had been putting them on my heart for some time. And that was the first opportunity I had to get over there. I wanted to get over there sooner, but yesterday was the first opportunity. When I showed up and Wayne invited me in, his wife came out and she's just embraced me and wept. And she said, God sent you. They had a family member die just 12 hours before. They just heard about it, weren't able to be there. It was all the grief, all the pain, and they were dealing with it alone. And she said, I was just in the bedroom. I was just praying that God would send somebody to us in this moment. And that's when I showed up. Now, I am not that smart. But God is. We live in a world where there are sharks and they take a bite, but God still sometimes says, yeah, but I'm going to give this grandpa and this little boy a thrill because I love them. This is a cool moment. And we live in a world where people who are alone and aching and hurting and just saying, God, would you, would you send somebody? He actually sometimes does. Doesn't take me out of this world and this world has not been fixed. The journey is a struggle. But that doesn't mean the peace of God does not accompany me, empowering me and strengthening me and encouraging me and anchoring me. And sometimes it is just the enoughness of Jesus that holds me together And it seems like there's only barely enough, but there's still enough. That's the peace of God. It erupts all different kinds of ways in a broken world and in my life. If the Prince of Peace is reigning in my life. So those are the questions. Do you have that relationship? And is he reigning? Let me ask the ushers to come. We're going to take our offering. I want to reiterate what uh, John said earlier because I know... Three-quarter of us aren't in the room when the um, <laughs> announcements are given. You know, we're coming to the end of the year, and um, as you are doing your year-end giving and planning, thank you, by the way. We are always grateful. We always have needs, and we always look to use what you give us um, the best that we can to, to make a difference in the world for Christ. But we also know that you do planning with taxes. The IRS says it has to be in our possession by the end of the day on the 31st, or you have to have it postmarked and in the mail. Those are your two options. You can, give on in, you can drop it by the office. You can give in the offering. You can give online the app that we've been talking about. Easy to do that. Or you can log on to the website. There's a button you can click on however you want to do. If God's leading you to do that, we encourage you to just give out of the abundance of your heart. And as you do your year in planning, please do remember that every year there's somebody that forgets and it's disappointing and discouraging. So I want you to know that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your grace and for your peace, and um, thank you. I pray you'd work in our hearts, Lord, that you would be the one who really rules and reigns, that we would be attentive to the relationship that we have with you, and we wouldn't try to be God. And Lord, maybe there's some here who have not yet really responded to your gospel. I pray that you'd bring them to the place of, of surrender and trust. pray this in Jesus' name, amen.